chairman of our media group, uh, Bill Binney. Good morning, sir. How are you? Good morning, Jack. How are you? Good to hear your voice. Good, thanks. And yours. Uh, Bill, of course, former U.S. Senate candidate, Republican Party official, business leader. Uh, you, you, you know a lot about this stuff. And, Bill, the question I'm asked, and I'm going to ask you, and you've mentioned it before in the show with me, Bill Binney, is the question on a Republican, largely Republican primary, because we know the Democrats, is no real race there. Are independents going to turn out in big, big numbers in a primary versus a general election on Tuesday in the primary? What are your thoughts on, and you've, you've endorsed Nikki Haley on this show and, and in general recently, made some news on that. But what are your thoughts looking at Tuesday when people ask you, Bill, what do you think is going to happen? I'd love to think that the independents do come out, um, and this is a unique one because of Biden's uh, position on the New Hampshire primary, essentially not running in it. So that does free out a lot of people that might otherwise cross over to play in the Democratic primary. Um, my own view is that we will get some 10, 20,000 independents cross over, but we won't get the giant sweep that uh, may push Nikki uh, into, the, uh, into the win category. But we shall see. It's always interesting. It's always an incredibly exciting time here in New Hampshire. It's a little bit like predicting professional sports. And uh, that's the great thing about sports. The great thing about politics is the human element changes everything. Uh, And I think we're very much at the epicenter of it right now. And as I said, uh, for every New Hampshire citizen, what a pleasure it is to be up here, but cold, but warm at heart. And you're looking at all this great political drama. It is great to see because, you know, it's, it's the way it should be. And the Democrats, I think, blew it here nationally the dnc but bill Binney, let me ask you this question i think the conventional wisdom is trump just doesn't seem to move from a number that may be enough in a contested republican primary to win but the thing that i keeps coming back in my mind bill Binney, is when i look back at past primaries new hampshire is very hard to predict and voters here i don't they can't collectively all talk with each other but it seems that as a collective block that vote new hampshire always likes to send a surprise rock the apple cart ah you can't predict us we're more independent you think and i've seen that in past primaries george w bush thought he had a big win sitting in his hotel in manchester when the guy named mccain clocked him uh, i can go back and back and point to surprises is th- is there a chance of a surprise here could new hampshire surprise even the polls and the pundits absolutely i think that nick very much has momentum And I want to be clear, I'm endorsing her. I think she is the next voice and generation of the Republican Party. Uh, But I do think that uh, we do have the opportunity here in New Hampshire to surprise everyone in the country by giving her a win. And I would encourage every Republican and every independent to look hard at her as a candidate. But I also think that Trump, as you say, so clearly has such an iron-cast hand on the Republican Party's primary right-wing voter uh, that they're not changing their view, but on the other hand, they're also not growing. And for me as a Republican, the sobering thing is, can he win the general? There's a new poll out this morning that says Biden's ahead. And I think that the Trump-Biden election will be a nail-biter for whichever party there uh, is uh, is hoping to win, and whatever your stance is. But I, I do think that New Hampshire right now has an opportunity to send a clear message that there's a new sheriff in town. This is a two-person race, and if there's a two-person race, I think that really could change things. That's the only hope we have to get an active, engaged primary debate and race between now and, and Super Tuesday. Bill Binney, chairman of Binney Media. I just want to ask you, Bill, this question, too. Governor Ron DeSantis called in yesterday morning, and I think you'd agree with me. When he came out of Florida with that reelection before he got into the race officially, he was like the number one draft choice for the Republicans. He was. Even ahead of yeah. Trump. And then Trump got in the summer and really bashed DeSantis, and DeSantis got in. 
And I just thought he would have resonated with his story out of Florida a lot better with New Hampshire voters than he has here. And I asked him this yesterday. I want to know your take on that. Are you a little surprised? Is that is that sort of come from too big of a state? Was he too overmanaged? Uh, was it a strategic thing? Uh, was it a personality thing? Were you surprised at all in that? <laughs> yes. The answer is yes, yes, and yes. He was he was over he was over politicized. He was over managed. The campaign officers got a hold of him. He took some incredibly conservative political views on things like abortion with a six week ban, which turned off a lot of moderates. Uh, and 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 uh, other folks. He did things that seemed to be pandering. He's very wooden on the stump, quite literally, uh, and doesn't seem to engage with the voter the way other people have in the past. McCain being the perfect example. You go all the way back to Jimmy Carter and Bill Clinton, who would stand out in intersections on highways uh, and roads, excuse me, to to say hello to voters. Yep. This is just not a guy who's gonna who's gonna do that. He's a he's a big city go to big areas and, and talk to a lot of people, and that's not the New Hampshire way. I, I am really surprised by DeSantis because I think he's an incredibly capable politician. He's done a wonderful job in Florida, um, but uh, he clearly has not resonated with the voters for a whole host of reasons, some policy, some personality, some overmanaging, some campaign mistakes. Yeah. Uh, and I think he's made a giant error by going from Iowa to essentially South Carolina without stopping in New Hampshire. I mean, th- that's... It's okay to come here and come in second here, but you can't ignore us. Yeah. And that just speaks to, uh, to again, his campaign and, and their lack of strategy. And I think, unlike Nikki Haley, uh, even if Nikki Haley loses to Trump in this primary uh, season, I think DeSantis feels like nationally he's dead, which is a story that nobody's talking about. Yeah, yeah, the surprising one, because who would have thought? Hey, before I let you go, Bill, um, you know, our, we have our own White House correspondent, John Decker. He's very good at this stuff, covers the White House. And I asked him as recently as yesterday, I, for one, uh, and, you know, people are talking about the age of Biden and the age of Trump, but I, for one, have a hard time picturing Joe Biden really getting through the Democrats' convention, even though the DNC is choosing him again, they're anointing him again, they're propping him up. I just look at his stage and age in life and talk to younger voters, Democrat voters who just think he's too old, and the polls show that. So my question is, I say to John Decker, what are the chances some surprise happening there, regardless if it's Trump again, with Joe Biden? And he says, Jack, it's absolutely not happening. It's a lock. He's the nominee. And it's Trump and Biden again. Do you, do you, do you agree that Biden is absolutely the Democrats nominee? Or do you think there could be a surprise by the convention or at the convention? Well, I'm always reminded of that fa- phrase. You know, if you want to make God smile, make a plan. And when I look at his health, when I look at how he walks, when I ho- look at how he talks, he could have a health scare. He could have a, a moment of true clarity and say, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. Or his wife could wake up and say, honey, this is ridiculous. You know, shame on Jill Biden, for crying out loud, who must look at her and see the deterioration. This is clearly a person, God bless him, uh, who's in decline cognitively, and we all do it. Uh, all you have to do is listen to my kids when they talk about me. But at the end <laughs> of the day, I really have my own doubts as to whether or not that we have a Trump-Biden election in november i don't think it's uh, i don't think it's a lock i think uh, there's a significant percentage that either uh, common sense or, or health or god's plan shows up and and we have a different scenario entirely uh and time will tell well i appreciate it bill benny thanks for your time on a busy friday bill benny chairman of benny media love the uh, take on the political stuff you know this very very well thank you sir thanks jack our pleasure all eyes are on tuesday final few days here but I have to tell you, in grade school, I can't believe I'm doing my own show on a number of stations, thousands streaming, and I get to say on my own show, our own White House correspondent. You know how, you know what, I'm, I'll 
happy that makes me, John? <laughs> well, it's happy to be on your show, too, Jack, uh, because you right now, your show, it's the center of the political universe uh, because of what's happening on Tuesday of next week. Everybody is tuning into your show. Everybody's paying attention every time a candidate appears on your show. And you've had them all. You've had every candidate that's competing for the Republican nomination on your show in this election cycle. That's well, really awesome. Well, we'll see. And i got to tell you that it, it feels like it's a Trump edge, John, but I, it's the old you never know. And, I, and, and the thing that I've always seen is New Hampshire surprises people with the results. But the polls all show one thing. All right, John, let's get back to... Our stuff with you, John Decker, on White House correspondent on this uh, busy final few-day push here. John, take it away. What do you have? Well, a few things uh, that are going on here in Washington. We have a, a date now for that sworn deposition behind closed doors for Hunter Biden. That's now going to take place on February the 28th. So the House Oversight Committee is getting what it wanted in the first place, which is to hear from Hunter Biden first behind closed doors before we have a public televised hearing with hunter biden i'm going to pay a lot of attention to that and then we have uh, the government averting a shutdown the house uh the senate coming together uh kicking the can down the road jack so we're going to be talking about this once again the beginning part of march that's how long this continuing resolution will last uh and it's just kind of frustrating that we talk about this every few months rather than getting a budget passed for the entire fiscal year and what a dichotomy between states where they have to balance budgets and plan. This is how Washington operates. And the last thing I'll say to you, John, we had a wonderful group from Elon University in the studio the other day, political science and journalism majors, traveling to Iowa, traveling to New Hampshire, going to South Carolina, studying the real stuff out there. And when I talked to them about Washington, young 20-year-old students, they were incredibly informed, really great, inspirational group of young people, about 12 of them. They say, we just feel like they don't listen to us. We don't even know what Washington is as young people. We can't even figure out. It just seems like it's all bought and paid for. And that's the feeling. They, they like, nothing happens. It's always the same, and no one listens to us. I thought that said a lot. Well, that does say a lot. There is, certainly is a lot of dysfunction. We saw uh, a House Speaker ousted just a few months ago. Uh, the current House Speaker, Mike Johnson, uh, he's on edge because of the narrow majority that Republicans have, and uh, you have uh, you know, various members of the House of Representatives who are Republicans flexing their political muscles. Uh, and, you know, even uh, the Speaker of the House speaking to former President Trump, we learn, every few days. So he's getting a lot of pressure from many different angles as it relates to uh, keeping this House together, keeping the House Republican Conference in unity uh, as it goes forward throughout this entire political year leading up to the November election. Yep. Our own White House correspondent, John Decker. Thank you, John. Thanks a lot, Jack. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Uh, Kevin Landrigan, New Hampshire leader, senior political reporter. Doesn't mean he's any older. But, Kevin, I, in my, the primary must be on my mind because I have, like, visualized dreams, and I was in a dream the other night, and you were in the room walking by with a bunch of them national media people. So you're on my mind. <laughs> well, it's hard not to. I mean, and then I've... I've lost track of what day it is. I, well, I realized earlier today it is actually Friday, but yeah, thank yesterday God. I thought it was Wednesday, so that's where we are. Thank God. Hey, one thing I want to say, Kevin, is um, you, unlike a lot of people, I actually listen when I have people on my show. And no offense to some hosts. I don't think they listen. They just, they just one way. I listen. You said something a few weeks ago on a Friday. You said, of all the years, because you've covered so many of these things, you're actually a wealth. You're one of the handful of the folks left, the real gems, gemstones out there. They've seen just about everything and covered it, met these people. You were probably even there. That Remember that 
year Cuomo from New York was going to come up and file, and he never came to New Hampshire? Um, Absolutely, yeah. sure. You've been yeah. there. You know, crazy. Phil, Phil Graham, McCain, you've been there. So here's my question. You said, and I'm beginning to think it goes into this Tuesday, it may, may be the difference. You said you've never seen a voting block support a candidate with the, the, the intensity and the loyalty and the froth, you know, how ferocious Trump folks are behind Trump, no matter what, no matter how many legal cases, no matter what the story is, they're with Trump, they are motivated, and they're going to vote. That was what you said a few weeks ago. Is that going to be the difference on Tuesday? It could be, yeah, Jack. I mean, uh, his supporters are not only passionate, they're energized now, and they're motivated. They're, they're well aware that Nikki Haley could win this thing on Tuesday if they don't all show up. And... Um, as you know, the weather forecast for Tuesday is like in the 40s. I think we could easily see a record turnout in this primary. We haven't heard from Secretary of State David Scanlon on that score yet. But, but it we heard from the governor. Hold on. We he heard said, from the governor. He thinks as many as 350,000 or a little more could vote. Right. And that's that would be an obvious record. I think the, um, the Haley AFP model has assumed it would be at least 330 to 340,000. And now with the weather and how much... Uh, how how much attention this race has gotten, um, 350 would not be out of the question, you know, which is pretty crazy. And um, so as a result, for Trump to win here, he needs every single, even soft Trump supporter to show up and vote. Yeah. And I think they will. Well, when people ask you, Kevin, what do you think is going to happen Tuesday? Kevin, what do you think is going to happen Tuesday? <laughs> well, yeah, I've been surprised so many times, and I've been wrong about New Hampshire voters more times than I can count over the 12 primaries I've been covering here. But you just get a sense that um, that Trump's put uh, has laid all the groundwork for um, winning this primary. And I don't think by a whole lot. I, I really do think Haley's going to um, probably exceed expectations right now. It's, you know, people think it's a... The polls are saying it's a 12 to 14 point race. I don't think it'll end up that way. I think it will be closer than that. But one thing people don't realize about the Trump campaign this time is it is so much more surgical and tactical than it was either in 2016 and 2020, meaning Trump knows who his voters are. He knows how to care and feed them, and he knows how to get them out to the polls on Tuesday. And that's going to make... I think that's going to make the difference, frankly, because in 2016, it was a campaign very much seat of your pants. You know, he, he was a phenomenon. He was a personality. He had a lot of charisma. He, he motivated a lot of people to come out to vote. This time, and of course in 2020, he was the incumbent president. I had all the trappings of power. But I think he learned from that 2020 experience now and has mm -hmm. put together just such an impressive organization and turnout machine that I don't think Nikki Haley can overcome it. I you don't. Know, you know, I know my uh, good buddy, he'll be here Tuesday with us, Brad Card, doesn't agree with me on this, and he was on with, uh, was it Dennehy or someone else yesterday? Kevin Landrigan, New Hampshire leader, senior political reporter. By the way, say hi to Brendan McQuaid. Well, I never talked to him anymore. I had his dad on recently on his book about uh, his father in World War II, uh, the home fires burning. But uh, my, yes. my point is on um, Brad. Uh, I'm noticing something, and it bugs the heck out of people like Brad. It bugs the heck out of people like yeah, I even mean, the Governor Sununu. But Nikki Haley's line about chaos follows Donald Trump. Chaos is Donald Trump. We all know that. 
Guess who else knows that? And they like it. Trump voters. They chaos is not a negative thing to them. <laughs> right. And I and I, way, I, yeah. I I'm, I'm almost a, like a, I'm I'm not involved in the business of messaging, but no, if you're gonna right. you know no no one knows for, how to well let me just say really, this. But for Trump voters it's a state of mind. Right. right? But, I mean but, they, but, but they actually I'm, they actually, what, actually like the chaos. They want this guy is all about change and about shaking up the status quo and not doing what the establishment thinks is politically correct. I mean, they're fine with that. Yeah, but but the thing is, they, no one knows how to go at Trump, these Republicans. They don't know how to go at him. They don't know how to take him on. Chris Christie thought he did. You know, uh, DeSantis has tried. Nikki's tried. You know, the thing on Donald Trump is he's good at finding your vulnerabilities. He nicknames people. They're, they're afraid to nickname him. Who's ever had the audacity to nickname Donald Trump? Well, one of them should have tried it. But anyway, it's too late for that. I, I'm just thinking that chaos is not the negative on Donald Trump. It is for other voters, but they don't give a damn. Um, anyway, uh, Kevin, uh, the other thing is um, I wanted to ask you is uh, Ron DeSantis. I asked Bill Benny this earlier. What's your right. take? He was out on me yesterday. He's almost looking at South Carolina. He's almost going beyond New Hampshire. Why didn't DeSantis resonate better in New Hampshire? Well, I think the campaign tactically just had made a lot of mistakes, right? Uh, early on, they... They spent far too much money and and not in good ways, um, which which I think hurt him. Um, his candidacy really, if you if you really wanted to perform an autopsy on it, it grew much too fast and too strong, right? If you remember the polls early on, some of them actually had him beating Trump when he first got in the race. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, no, and he was... when you're running against when you're running against Trump. And that happens. It's almost impossible to sustain it, right, in a Republican primary. And and DeSantis could not. Like I said, he went through campaign managers like you and I go through cups of coffee in a given week, right? And um, a lot of resignations, a lot of um, dysfunction in the campaign. And and I got to say this about a lot of these campaigns and candidates, and it fits for DeSantis. The national media, the worst-kept secret, right, is they want Trump-Biden. They want Trump to be the nominee. Thank and, you, thank you, thank you for so, finally saying so, what, what Phil Todd... So yep. My point is this. So as a result, every DeSantis misstep, miscue, um, hiccup happened, became huge national news and it created this narrative that DeSantis is in freefall DeSantis is going to drop out DeSantis can't possibly raise any more money and and once that happens to you as a candidate I don't care Democrat Republican liberal conservative it's almost impossible to overcome that right I mean the only way frankly to overcome it is to have a result that flips the narrative and DeSantis Never got that result. At least hasn't yet. Yeah. All right, Kevin. We got to let you go. Thank you. Thank you very much, Kevin. Make it a good. Enjoy the final few days. You too. Thanks. See you on Tuesday, Jack. Take yep. care. Yep. Paul Steinhaus reports nationally for Fox News. He's got stories. He's been doing this for months, making news here that the others follow, and he's been everywhere. He's he's, he's shivered in Iowa. He's here. It's his home state. He lives in the same community with a U.S. senator and the governor. And he's looking at Tuesday. Paul Steinhauser, GM. Uh, now, uh, of course, we're with uh, Sig Sauer. Take it away, Paul. 
Well, Jack, for once, uh, the campaign trail came exactly just about to my doorstep. Right next door to me is the Newfields General Store. Governor Sununu also lives right around the corner, and he brought Nikki Haley here this morning. It was the first of her. She's got like eight stops today, right? She's trying to close that gap. She's down about 15 points to Trump, so she's nonstop retail campaigning today. First stop was right here in Newfield. Uh, she told me, had a chance to briefly talk to her. She's predicting a good turnout, and she kind of took a shot at Trump. We know Trump won big, real, real big in Iowa. She said, hey, President Trump won a state of 3 million people with 56,000 votes, so kind of taking a shot there at Trump as she tries to turn up the heat and close the gap, Jack. So here we go. Just a couple of four days to go until the primary. All right. Thank you, Paul. Paul Steinhauser, nationally for Fox. Michael Graham, NHJournal.com. A couple of stories you're tracking, including what I was just talking about down in Boston. Good morning, Michael. Good morning. Yeah, it's a kind of story that's just almost written by a movie script for a first-in-the-nation Republican primary where illegal immigration and border security is a top issue when uh, – Chris Sununu was out with uh, Nikki Haley yesterday. It hooks it at uh, Robbie's. Um, he was talking about her strong record on uh, illegal immigration because they know it's a, it, it's a tough issue, and Trump is hitting her on it. Well, uh, ICE sent a Massachusetts judge a request. Hey, you've got this illegal immigrant charged with raping a developmentally disabled person. Please hold on to him. We want to come grab him and hold him. And the judge said, sorry. I don't recognize your evil racist ICE detainers, you, you know, right wing, whatever you. And because of the sanctuary policies of uh, Massachusetts, the judge. And by the way, this happens all over the country uh, in uh, blue states. They simply refuse to honor an immigration detainer and they set the alleged rapist free. And so he was out from January 9th until yesterday. That's when ICE announced that they finally caught up, tracked the guy down and put him back in uh, in custody. And the statement from the, uh, the ICE folks was very strong about how uh, disturbingly, and despite our filing an immigration detainer, this individual was released back into the community by the criminal court. And so it's just a perfect setup if you're uh, Nikki Haley or Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis to talk about why immigration enforcement matters. It's also interesting that you were talking to Paul Steinhauser, who does a great job, who's out at one of the many events that Nikki Haley added to her calendar Yesterday, uh, after a cycle, and Jack, I know you were hearing this from, and I think it's important to note, from Haley supporters, starting Wednesday morning, Haley supporters across the state were speaking out to, to me and to our reporters saying, where is she? Where are the, you know, five town halls? Where are the four, whatever, you know, parades? Where's the, where's the juice? Why? They're kind of expecting this, you know, 10 counties in 100 hours, you know, COAs to Salem. You know, it's something that says, I know I'm behind, I want to build momentum, I want to win. And once again, this was not from Haley haters. This was from Haley supporters who really are hoping for a big upset on Tuesday. But when I asked Governor Sununu about the schedule yesterday, he shot back. He said, what? She's everywhere. Well, that's what he said to me yesterday, too. And Because I, I asked him, what do you say to people who say she's not running a Sununu schedule? Because if Chris Sununu were the candidate for president, it would have been 6.05 on, you know, Mike Pomp's show, you know, every other show he could find, including country music and jazz. And then he would have been out at, you know, 8.50 outside of a workplace waving signs at 9.20. I mean, it, it, we've seen this before. For, I'll give you another example. Do you remember the last day of Donald Trump's 2016 campaign? Where he, didn't he get to New Hampshire, Jack, like at 1 in the morning or something? I'm yeah. just remembering, but yeah. he, he did like five states, six states on that last day. And I think... 
that's the kind of action that I think the Haley people are looking for because she has a lot of fans. She has people who really think she'd be a great president, love the way she talks about issues, particularly tough ones like abortion. And then you have people who really don't want Donald Trump to be the nominee, and they sense that if the polls are right, there's a new one this morning that has Trump above 50%, that's the third in a row. If he breaks 50% in New Hampshire, it's going to be very hard to make the case that he's not the Republican choice for 2024. All right. Well, Michael... Listen to some Garth Brooks. Have a great weekend. So, so what's going to happen, Jack? What's your number? Here's my here's my question for you. Does Nikki Haley break forty percent on Tuesday? Yes or no, Jack? I'm again. I'm, I'm coming at you. <laughs> wait, wait, um, are, you are you cheating? Are you googling? No, what no. Are you using AI I'm actually doing box? something that you should try once in a while: listening and thinking. I have no information. It just no, slows me no, down. I'm much I'm, better. I'm trying. I'm doing something you should try once in a while: listening and pondering and thinking. I'm going to give you an answer. Barely. Low forties. <laughs> Uh, I, I think I think it's I think it's hard for Trump not to get at least fifty, and I think Nikki Haley might get you know forty one, forty two. That's my answer. So that means uh, DeSantis really doesn't uh, no. do well. By the way, the DeSantis campaign strategy now is have Haley lose South Carolina here, right, have Haley right. lose South Carolina, and then he stays in and picks up delegates because he'll be the only person left on the ballots in Super Tuesday and beyond. And then something, 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 and then DeSantis is the nominee. Right. And that's a once again a rough strategy but when you're hoping for someone else to win and win big that kind of changes yeah the the dynamic of the race all right michael love you be well listen to some thank garth. you listen to some garth this weekend not gonna happen not all gonna right. happen like any journal thank you michael neil avec institute of politics executive director before we get to our another guest on talking some energy give us a quick snapshot of what you're feeling you came out with a poll going into the end of the week here you might be in the field again is there an – I think, you know, we're in the final two minutes of a game here, Neil. I think there's enough time. We've seen a lot of football games tighten up in the last minute or two. You know that. A couple things can happen. What's happening? Is this race going to be tighter uh, by Tuesday or not? Does Trump have this one? Is it his to lose? Does Nikki Haley have a shot here to close the gap with independent or moderate voters and a big number of the undeclared? Take it away, Neil. Well, I think we're at the stage where anything can really happen. Voters are still making up their minds. And as a result, we've seen this sort of Haley campaign kick into gear. Yesterday, they added more events and did some more press questions and things like that. But they put an ad up on television with Governor Sununu making sort of a face-to-face pitch, which I think is a very effective ad. Uh, He's an effective campaigner on her behalf. Uh, So... Anything can happen. We had a 14-point spread between Trump, who was at 52, so he's over 50, and Haley. Um, who knows where uh, and what will happen as far as the, the rest of the field, including uh, Governor DeSantis, uh, but we'll see what happens. The, the real movement here is where are some of these undecideds, I think, and the uh, undeclared voters going to go. Uh, our polling had about 52% going to Haley and 37 going to Trump. So Trump still uh, still is getting a lot of votes from that. And I think there's some, some question as to whether or not Haley made a good decision by skipping the New Hampshire debate uh, and going on CNN. Oh, you're, you're only upset because it was your debate. I think that the big thing <laughs> here is people, people outside New Hampshire don't understand that New Hampshire's only television station is more than just a television station. It's the way they connect with the rest of us. 
And well, I'd uh, say still, we, maybe not as much as it used to be. No, I'm kidding. But go ahead, Neil. <laughs> so, so I think that that was, and it was, you know, 90 minutes an opportunity to do it. That that being said, you know, when you're running from behind, you got to take the opportunities when you can. Can, and can, I, I, can I just ask I, you a question, though, because I don't usually get you going. I'm in a mood. It's Friday. I love you. I still, by the way. You always get me going. This hey, is what you do. You cut me off, and then you say, I, I don't, then you apologize, What do you do? What do you do with friends that tell you, and it's January, what, uh, here we are, what, uh, 19th. I have a Christmas present for you, and it's January 19th. They haven't given it to you yet. Do you think that's real, j Doc? Yes. You do? I do. It's an old lobster I potty. I even had my wife wrap it. So it's an old it lobster potty probably throwing out. Neil, do you think on Tuesday anyone voting is going to remember whether Nikki Haley debated on Thursday night with Ron DeSantis? Yes, because I think that it was a missed opportunity to get earned media and be in front of New Hampshire voters. That being I just said, had, I just it was had a decision that she made, and 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 you know it it is what it is at okay. this point. I I'm not sure how many I'm not sure how many Republican primary mm-hmm. voters there are watching the CNN network. I just, no, I, 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 I hear you. I hear you on that. All right, listen, we're going to watch your run. So if you had to say, this is my last question. Is there enough time to now Tuesday, meaning today you got the, the weekend is like one day. Cause you, you know, people are going to be distracted, get some cold temps tomorrow. Football's on candidates will be everywhere, but there are at events. I'm hearing that Trump may be doing another quiet event on uh, not another event scheduled in Portsmouth on Mondays. You know, he's all over Nikki Haley's all around. Uh, my question is, is there enough time on Monday to move this needle enough? Do you really feel? Do you feel that Trump has this thing sewn up or not? Is what I'm asking you. I think that what Trump is doing is not trying to get even more. I think at the end he's showing strength and continuing to run the ball right to the end. You don't want to ever have the story be, yeah, he sort of just gave up and and went to South Carolina like Joe Biden did a few years ago and just left New Hampshire. Right. You want to continue. And, and show that support to the people that are going to show up at the polls on right, Tuesdays buddy. to vote for you. Got to run. Neil Levesque, we'll catch you Monday. Thank you. Institute of Politics. Thanks, Thanks. We'll be there Tuesday all day, West Wing Live, uh, doing primary coverage. Uh, I want to bring in a great expert. You know, we had a wonderful event Wednesday talking about mental health, anxiety, depression, a town hall that I put together with a lot of focus and a lot of experts. Thank you to all. Bank of New Hampshire stage had a great audience, about 150 people there. It was a wonderful event on addiction. 112,000 people last year died of a drug overdose. Number one cause of death of young people under 40 in America, mental health. But who's talking about it? How about energy? I'm going to bring in, I'm delighted, Ann Bradbury is one of the top energy experts and leading voices in the country. And you know what? It's going to be cold tomorrow. I like a warm house. I like the lights on. (laughs) And I like my new Nissan Frontier pickup truck. And I think we can do it all cleanly with a rational, commonsensical discussion. You know, when Joe Manchin was here recently, before I bring it in, he had a bunch of folks like, like harassing him because he's from West Virginia and actually thinks energy jobs matter. I want to talk with uh, Ann Bradbury. She's the CEO of American Exploration and Production Council and, uh, and a real uh, uh, energizer on talking about energy and why it's an important issue that we really need to look at in less of a political way, but we need we need to do it on things like the primary and the presidential stuff and get these candidates talking about it because last time I checked, we're at the end of the line in New England on, you know, some stuff to make electricity and we're paying through the roof. And thanks for being with us, Ann Bradbury. Before we get into the uh, – we're short on time. I want to get you back. We're in the hey, final Beth. hours and days of the presidential primary. Ann Bradbury, take it away. Beth, how are you? It's good to be with you this morning. Well, thank you. Uh 
as you point out, you know, energy is so fundamental to so many things that voters care about right now. So three and four, four voters in the uh, say that the economy is their top issue. Um, second is generally foreign policy, and energy is fundamental to the economy, and it's fundamental to our national security. So it should be something that the candidates and voters are talking about a lot right now. Yeah, but how do we do it in a more effective way? Because it always gets politicized. You know, someone's got an agenda, and you can't even have a rational discussion. I mean, I love solar energy. I want to be green. I want to be clean. I love clean water. I love the mountains. I mean, I'm, I'm, but you, you can't even have a discussion because some people are just brainwashed on common sense, you know, in terms of talking about energy. Sure. That's exactly right. I mean, the fact is that so many people want to paint this picture that you can either have oil and gas or you can have a clean environment. And the fact is we can have both. The United States is the world leader in oil and gas production, and it is also the world leader in reducing emissions. And those two things happened at the same time. Uh, So these things are not mutually exclusive and shouldn't be portrayed as a choice that people have to make between the two. And, Anne, am I right or wrong? Ann Bradbury will tell you again her group, and, and she can tell us the website. But do we are we also home to more of the, the most natural gas reserves in some states, which can be effectively and cleanly extracted today, and we're not even tapping them? Is that, am, I, am I wrong on that? Well, what you're right about is that the U.S. is home to probably the biggest natural gas field in the world, the Marcellus Shale. It's located just a few hundred miles to the south of you in New Hampshire. Uh, But unfortunately, a lot of residents of New Hampshire aren't able to take advantage of this incredible resource that we have because of a lack of infrastructure. Um, Energy in New Hampshire is about 70 percent higher than than the national average. Um, despite the fact that it is so close to this, in, to this incredible resource. Um, and so we need better infrastructure in order to connect these resources with the people that need them most. And, you know, with inflation, sometimes that energy bill, you know, and the other thing, and I don't have it in front of me, but the CEO of Eversource wrote a letter uh, well over a year ago to the Biden administration going into last winter, last fall, it was a year ago, October, basically saying, that your policies are actually enriching Vladimir Putin and the war in the Ukraine to fund it because you're not allowing us to get more affordable natural gas to make electricity here in New England. Our customers are paying for it. And if you did some simple things on exploration, get rid of the Jones Act, I mean, he listed things that they could do. And, of course, tone death because, you know, John Kerry didn't like it probably. I mean, what's going on? Yeah, it's absurd. I mean, you know, there's, uh, you know, New England uh, has, you know, extremely high use of things like fuel oil to to stay warm in the winter, right? And again, um, your proximity to one of the biggest natural gas fields in the world and the fact that you can't connect that natural gas to states in New England just a few hundred miles to the north um, is, is really a tragedy. And it results in both higher costs for New Hampshire citizens, uh, but also higher emissions, uh, because you're either importing uh, natural gas from other sources or you're burning less clean sources. So it's, it's really a lose-lose, um, and it's part of this false narrative that uh, a lot of the environmentalists are putting forward. All right. Ann Bradbury, again, CEO, American Exploration and Production Council. Ann Bradbury, what's the best way to contact you? I'd love to get you on even after the primary to continue the discussion, Ann, and talk about your work in terms of exploration, production, um, you're you're basically, uh, you know, you represent, I think, probably 30 or 40 leading independent oil, natural gas type folks in the companies in this stuff. So tell us how people can get in touch with you. 
That's right. So we represent the leading independent American oil and natural gas companies. Our website is www.axpc.org. Um, and I always love to talk energy, whether it's uh, an election year or not, because it's so important to and so fundamental to our quality of life. Well, I thank our friends at Darby Field for getting you to us. So I'd like to follow up and keep keep the discussion going in. Thanks so much. Thank you. I was just joking with, <laughs> I was just joking with someone yesterday in a, in a good way about self-checkouts and how stressed out people get because I've seen it. No, I don't know how to do this. And they always have to have someone standing there and show you. <laughs> I was actually just talking about self-checkouts under fire. Aaron Real, we as radio national correspondent before we bring in more of our political analysts and all-stars. Aaron, take it away. Yes, Jack. The self-checkout kiosk horror show is coming to an end. So the biggest problem with them is apparently theft. They are costing retailers, everyone from Walmart, to target to Dollar General, hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. Turns out people have absolutely no problem stealing from them. So there's a lot of stats out there. Actually, one in five shoppers reported that they accidentally stole something. I can completely see how that could happen. And then this one is hysterical to me. One in seven have said, yeah, I uh, did it on purpose. I stole. <laughs> I just don't seem to mind. They admit to it. And this is really, really cutting into retailers' bottom line. Dollar General, they made this huge bet in 2022. They wanted to basically put all robots and get rid of humans in their stores for the most part. It didn't work. And they recently announced that the project straight up flopped. They're scratched, They're nixing it. In an earnings call last month, the CEO said that they are now hiring more people and they're going to staff them in the checkout areas. It is a win for the humans, one win in a long time and a L for the robots, at least on this one. There it is. This is J-Dog here. Uh, Market Basket, uh, I'm sure you heard of them, right? Market Basket, the, 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 Mancha, the Massachusetts, yeah, uh, big, New Hampshire. Big regional, yeah. Yes, they pride uh-huh. themselves on not ever doing self-checkout. They refuse to do that, and they were always being criticized about, well, well you got to get with the times, you got to get with the times. Well, they don't look too bad now with that, do they? No, no, they don't. Market Basket knows what's up. And apparently people do like the self-checkout, which is shocking to me, but 60% of people do. And that's even in spite of the fact that 67% of people reported they had issues with them. I I have to be honest, I don't hate the self-checkout. It can be useful at times. But if someone comes up to the self-checkout and they have a whole cart with them, I'm like, no, 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 you, off the line. You have to go to the regular one because you know that there's going to be a problem. You're like, I see I see bananas in there. You're not going to know how to bring that up. Someone's going to have to come over. We're all going to be late for our next thing. It's going to be an issue. All right, Aaron, thanks. Good stuff. Check it out. Thank you. All right. Uh, We're going to bring them over our political analysts and all-stars. They'll be with us on Monday and Tuesday as we broadcast live from the West Wing, St. Anselm College Institute of Politics. Do we have Phil Taub? One thing I love about Phil, I love a lot of things. Not only what he does in the veterans community, swim with the mission, but as a political analyst, he has a way of getting right to it. Whether he's talking about local stuff, the go- the governor stuff, the presidential stuff, Phil, I'm going to rest my voice for a moment because you've had time to look at this. We're just a few days away. We're in the home stretch before the first of the nation presidential primary on Tuesday. Weather doesn't look bad. In fact, it looks pretty nice temperature wise. What's going to happen? The big question is: Does Trump win this thing fairly big, or is there a surprise in the works? Phil, take it away. The bottom line is, Jack, I hate to say it because we all love New Hampshire so much. This is our home. Uh, It's not going to matter. It's just New Hampshire is not going to play that important role that we have in so many other primary elections. Tell me why. Well, obviously, on the Democrat side, Biden's not even on the on the ballot. Right. So I don't think it matters whether he wins or he loses here. 
you know, either way, he's still going to get the nomination uh, for the Democrats. And even if somehow uh, Nikki Haley pulled off some upset, which I do not think is going to happen here, she's still going to lose South Carolina, which is going to put her campaign in serious jeopardy. And Governor DeSantis is going to lose in Florida to Trump. So I think in early March, when we get to Super Tuesday, it's over. It's Trump all the rest of the way. You run the tables and everything's going to be about Trump versus Biden. So I, you know, a lot has happened here in New Hampshire. A lot of people spent a lot of time here, but it's all pretty much, you know, worked itself out. And I feel bad for all the media. Fox News took over the BVI. You know, they're spending all this money, but it's almost like, hey, there's nothing to see here. You know that old phrase? Well, you, you said something that one of our analysts earlier, I think it was Kevin Landrigan, New Hampshire leader, but I remember you saying this like months ago. And you said the national media wants it to be Trump again. Do you remember you pointed that out? They do. I, I still feel that way, Jack. And I think DeSantis has been the biggest victim of that. They picked on him, the national media, you know, all the way through and, and made it really tough for him. Because uh, I agree. I think they have been rooting for Trump. They wanted a Trump-Biden rematch to put Biden in the best position to win. I feel that absolutely. And, you know, we're so close to that point where the national media, the tenure and the substance of the articles and reporting is going to change from what you see now to, you know, this more, much more anti-Trump, pro-Biden approach. Yeah, and and you know what? It, the weird thing, Phil, is if you talk to younger Democrats, they don't want Joe Biden. They don't want, and, and 80% of the voters kind of want something else, and yet this is what's being rammed. It, and you look at the DNC screwing over New Hampshire, don't vote in your own primary. It's not what we want, the party bosses. It's detrimental. And they talk about democracy and voting as the Democrats. I mean, come on. So here we go. And, and, and Phil, you might appreciate this. You have college students or younger folks. But I had a great class from Elon University from North Carolina in our studios the other day. And when I talk with the students, they're traveling, covering the primary political science journalism. 20-year-old, really super. It, it, it inspired me because they're really sharp and they're paying attention. They know what's going on. You know what they say to me? We feel like we have no say at all as young people yeah. in yeah. Washington and Biden and Trump. They, no one listens to us. It's not what we want, and yet it doesn't seem to matter. That's your point. It, that, that has, and that's been my point all along. It's, the, the most alarming part about all of this is if you look at where Trump's support is coming from, there are too many people in our country, regardless of your politics, that just feel like Washington – is not in it for us, the little guy. They're not taking care of us. And, you know, I think that's a much larger issue. I think it's been building for almost decades now, you know, and it just feels like the fix is in Washington. It's about big business, big tech, big pharma, the lobbyists, and the little guy is just getting screwed. And, you know, at, at the heart of all that, you know, a lot of those folks are going to vote for Trump. And I think if the election was held today, I think Trump beats Biden. Yeah. And you know what's funny? All these legal cases, like the Attorney General in New York, because I don't want to get into defending anything or not, but that civil fraud trial on Trump's businesses is a complete political witch hunt. There's no laws that were broken. You may not agree with it. You're the attorney, by the way, a rather stellar one nationally for Peabody, Nixon, merger and acquisitions. They, it was just a political agenda. Go get Trump. Hurt him. You know, no, you know, no jury. Civil fine. Civil case. No crimes. Not a felony. Uh, take away his license to... All it does is help him. If your goal is to hurt Trump, why are so many people that don't like him helping him be the nominee and maybe even helping him win? 
Exactly. Exactly. All of this has backfired on whosoever strategy this was. It is all backfired, you know, and it's it's going to be a fairly chaotic four years for sure. I, I could see Trump pardoning uh, all the January 6 folks, right? I think there's over a thousand of them that have been put in jail. You know, he's not going to be able to pardon himself on, on all of these cases. They're not federal cases or state cases, but he's going to try anyway. He's going to claim he's immune, and it's going to be fairly chaotic, all of this. But, you know, they didn't have to bring these cases either. So it's uh, careful, you know, ca- careful what you wish for and you reap what you sow kind of a thing. But underlying all of this, the disheartening part of this is I think our country is largely filled with great people, you know, who – who want the best for our country and want the best for each other. Uh, but somehow here we are just feeling like Washington is not in it for us. And that's, you get Donald Trump. We will see. All right. We'll catch you Monday and Tuesday. Phil Top. Thank you very much, Phil. Great stuff. All right. All right. Thanks. Have a great weekend. Josh Applebaum of VEASAN Sports Betting Radio for another week of playoff picks. This time it's the divisional round. Last week it was the Super Wild Card weekend round, and we both went 4-2 and two. Now we're on to the next round, all starting on Saturday, and it's going to start at 4.30 p.m. on ESPN with the Houston Texans, who got to win over the Cleveland Browns last week, at the Baltimore Ravens, the number one seed overall in the NFL and in the AFC, 13-4 and on the regular season. Right now, as it stands, Josh, 43.5 is the line, 43.5 points, with Baltimore a 9.5-point favorite. Who you got? This Saturday in the Charm City. J-Dog, happy divisional round. I'm going to take the points with the Houston Texans. This game opened around uh, Baltimore minus 10. At one point, it got down to Baltimore minus 9. Kind of ticked back a little bit here. Back at 9.5, kind of sitting there in no man's land. Uh, But I got a lot of system matches on Houston. Houston would be a playoff dog. Playoff dogs are 4-2 ATS this postseason. They're 60% against the spread since 2017. And a playoff dog who missed the playoffs the previous year, buying low on these teams like Houston in this spot, 3-1 and one ATS this postseason, and 37-18 ATS, 67% since 2017. And also, J-Dog, fading divisional round favorites off a of bye. A lot of people say, hey, you got to play these teams. They're rested. They're ready to go. But actually, they tend to win these games, but not always cover. Fading them is 60% against the spread since 2023. C.J. Stroud, 6-2 ATS as a dog. Lamar Jackson just 1-9 and nine against the spread when he's favored by 7 or more since 2021. I'm going Texans plus 9.5. Lamar Jackson is the MVP of this league. He's not played in, what, three weeks now? Has it, has it been three weeks? I think it's been, yeah, because they had the bye week, yeah, right? Yeah, that's the last week, yeah. Yeah, he's not played in almost a month. Are you kidding me? Just because of that, I'm taking the Houston Texans in an upset. Bye-bye, Baltimore Ravens. Houston Texans are going to win this game in Baltimore. Bye-bye to the Baltimore Ravens. Now we move on to the second game of the doubleheader. The number one seed in the NFC, the San Francisco 49ers, who finished the regular season at 12-5, and host the Green Bay Packers, who annihilated the Dallas Cowboys in Arlington, Texas, who have never lost in Jerry World, by the way. 8.15 p.m. is the kickoff on Fox. 50.5 points is the line. And right now, San Francisco, like Baltimore, is favored by 9.5 points. Who you got this Saturday night in Santa Clara, California, Josh? I'll take another big dog here, J-Dog. I'll go Green Bay plus nine and a half. It's kind of ironic how, you know, both those Saturday games are same spread, kind of same situation. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I like this angle. You know, a lot of the 
um, betting systems I just gave you for Houston, they all match with Green Bay. Playoff dogs, playoff dogs didn't make the postseason, fading a divisional round favorite. And then also you look at Jordan Love in particular. He's playing great. He's 9-5 and five against the spread as a dog in his career. And also with San Francisco, uh, I believe they're 0-5 ATS, their last five games at home. And McCaffrey, I know he's, he should be good to go, but he was on the injury report. I know they're going to miss uh, I think it was, well, another guy on their defense who won't play. But I'm going to take the points here with Green Bay. Again, this is the round J-Dog where typically the home favorites win, but not always cover. And I like the way Green Bay's playing right now. I'm going Green Bay plus 9.5. I love the Packers, as you know, but... I just this is Matty LaFleur's white whale seems to be the San Francisco 49ers and the Packers haven't beaten San Francisco in the playoffs since the 2000s. This would be the time to do it, but I just I don't see it. I I, I think San Francisco is going in there thinking we're Super Bowl. I I just I, I want to pick them so bad the Packers, but I can't. I'm going to take the 49ers in this one unfortunately. Unfortunately for me, of course, not for, you know, San Francisco 49ers fans, of course, but Moving on to the Sunday slate at 3 p.m. on NBC. I love that all four different networks are going to have this. I love that. You know, because you have ESPN with the first game, Fox with the second game, and then NBC with the third game, and then CBS will have the latter. But we'll start with NBC, 3 p.m. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who, again, annihilated the Philadelphia Eagles at 10-8, and or at the 13-5, and five, well, thir- Detroit Lions, who just barely got by the Los Angeles Rams in Detroit, winning their first playoff game since early January of 1992. <laughs> uh, right now, 49 is the line, and the Lions are favored by 6.5 points. Who you got this Sunday in the Motor City on Sunday, Josh? I'm going Tampa Bay here, oh, dog I'll take the points. Okay. Yeah, plus 6.5. Might even be able to get a 7. By the way, you mentioned all the TV networks. Thank God I don't have to screw around with Peacock or one of these other streaming networks. Not so yet you never... won't. That's the future. That's the future. <laughs> We're in the present now. <laughs> I'd like to say in the present. I like the present more than the future. But uh, this is a play where it's not really a sharp play to me, J-Dog, on Tampa Bay. It's more of a value play. You know, you saw the Lions open minus six. They're all the way up to six and a half or even seven at some shops. And the public is all over the Lions. They're getting upwards of 65% of bets. Mm-hmm. So the Bucks in this spot, contrarian, bet against the public. You're also with an inflated line, and they're also 12 and six against the spread, nine and three ATS as a dog. Those are the two best uh, overall and as a dog ATS numbers in the NFL. And what I'm going to bank on is the defense of Tampa Bay. I don't think they can keep up offensively with Detroit, but they're only giving up 18.6 points per game. That's the fifth best in the NFL. Detroit's giving up 23.2 points per game. That's 23rd. So uh, Baker's playing well. You already you uh, heard one of the guys, the uh, defensive backs, talking a little trash to Baker, uh, which I think might be just a little bit more motivation here. I like the way Tampa Bay's playing. I think Detroit wins a close one here, but I'll take that six and a half or a plus seven if he can find it. Now, Todd Bowles is a defensive mastermind, right? I mean, we can agree to that. He's, he's a defensive-minded coach. That's why he got the job with Tampa Bay, and that was to shore up the defense. His first year last year, Last season, the 2022 season, was was an abysmal mess defensively. He really shored up that defensive line because uh, there was a lot going on in the offseason last year saying, well, what did Tampa Bay do? They got better on defense. The offense will take care of itself, or at least that's what that, that was the general consensus down uh, in, in NFL circles saying, Tampa Bay, they don't need, they need a quarterback, and they've got one now in Baker Mayfield. But when the offseason started, it was like, they're going to get a quarterback at some point in terms of like you know high profile, and Baker Mayfield to a degree is but the amount of teams that he's been on, he's got a chip on his shoulder. He's got he's, he he wants to prove that he can get this done. But 
It's in Detroit. It's my Super Bowl pick, Detroit. I can't I can't steer them now. And I actually don't think it'll be close. I think this one could be like a 10-point blowout for the, for the Lions or more. But uh, I got the Lions in this one. And lastly, this is the game we've all been waiting for, 6.30 p.m. on CBS. That means Nance and Romo. Here we go. Uh, the reigning, defending, undisputed Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs. Pat Mahomes has never played a road playoff game before. Or at the... Buffalo Bills, by the way, Kansas City annihilated Miami, and Buffalo got by Pittsburgh in the wild card and super wild card weekend oh. round. 45.5 is the line. The Bills favored by 2.5. Orchard Park, New York. Bills Mafia will be rocking. Who you got this Sunday night in Western New York, Josh? J-Dog, I got to take the, the chance here to go Patrick Mahomes as a dog. It okay. really never happened. Yep. The Bills. Have seen a little line movement. They opened around minus two and a half. They're, you know, kind of flirting with going to minus three, which is a really important key number here. So I'm going to shop around, uh, get that, that plus three with Kansas City. Kansas City's only getting 38% of bets. You really never get Kansas City in this spot as a dog. Right. Bet against the public play. Typically, they're the one laying points and being a very popular bet. Also, the Chiefs have really good rest versus tired advantage. They played on Saturday. Bills had that game. Remember, it kept getting pushed back because of the weather. They mm-hmm. played. Uh, on Monday, so that's a big two-day rest advantage. And then also Patrick Mahomes, 8-1 and one against the spread in his career as a dog. 2-0 ATS straight up uh, and ATS against the Bills in particular. And remember, in the Super Bowl, J-Dog, it was uh, the Kansas City Chiefs plus one and a half. Public was the Eagles, and after the game, you know, everyone who bet the Eagles said, how could I possibly bet against Mahomes as a dog? So uh, I think people are down on the Chiefs just because you know, they, haven't, they didn't have a 14-win season, and their offense didn't look great. And they're on the road. They usually are at home hosting playoff games as a number one seed. So. <laughs> exactly. So I think there's a lot of reasons maybe the public is down on the Chiefs. I think it's a great time to buy low on Kansas City. I'm going Chiefs plus three, J-Dog. Make sure you find the the, uh, the key number of three. Yep. I don't discount Andy Reid. He's done this before. He's 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 not new to this. He, he's, he's done this before. Mahomes <laughs> hasn't, though. That's why I don't think it's going to be close. The Buffalo Bills are going to run away with this game, and they're going to beat the reigning, defending, undisputed Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs. And Taylor Swift will be there at Highmark Stadium, by the way. Uh, A lot of the Swifties (laughs) do. That's that's why Peacock numbers went through the roof. And that's why Peacock is probably going to be carrying more NFL games down the line, Jack. You can thank Taylor (laughs) Swift as to why there won't be any more network television for football. So, Josh, you have Houston, Green Bay, Tampa Bay, Kansas City. I have... Houston, San Francisco, Detroit, and Buffalo. So you're the only really dissenting opinion there is well, the two dissenting opinions. Real well, actually, no, three, right? Yeah, three. Yeah, three. We have three dissenting opinions. Whereas we were both in agreement with the Houston Texans. But it's all going to start tomorrow, four thirty p.m. with the Houston Texans at the number one seeded Baltimore Ravens on ESPN. Josh, where can we find you on social media? Yeah, you can find me, J-Dog, on Twitter, at Josh underscore Insights. I wrote a book, too, The Everything Guide to Sports Betting. If you want to learn more about betting, you can find that on Amazon. And also, J-Dog, if you want to wake up early with me tomorrow morning, 8 to 10 a.m. Eastern time, I do The Sweat. It's a show on DraftKings from the DraftKings studio in Boston. Uh, you can find that on Beeson.com as well as the DraftKings Twitter page. That's 106.3 HD2 on your radios, by the way, folks. If you go to the Pulse of New Hampshire's page, go to the Pulse of NH.com, and on the right side, if you just scroll a little bit farther down, 
You can click on the VEASAN image, and that's how you can get VEASAN Sports Betting Radio. Josh Applebaum, VEASAN Sports Betting Radio. We will do Championship Sunday picks next Friday. Looking hey, forward on, to J-Dog. it. Hold on, Yeah. Have you gotten a copy of his book yet? I have not. Neither have I. It's, it's <laughs> coming. Is, is he that cheap? He can't send us a copy to promote? It's coming. It's coming. Well, it's coming. I, so hey, is I'm, Mike. Like, I'm like Jerry Jones. I, I won't you know, fire my coach to hire a new coach. I'm a, I'm a cheap person, you know? <laughs> Well, you know, I'm still waiting for my Christmas present from Neil Beck. You're still waiting for Josh's book. Real quickly, I just saw Bill O'Brien, Patriots uh, offensive coordinator, going to Ohio State as the OC. Did you see that? I did not see that. Okay. Yeah. So, all right. Josh, well, Josh, uh, changes are coming to New England. Belichick landing in Atlanta or not? I think so. There's actually uh, a prop bet out there, Belichick. I think he's now minus 300 to go to the Falcons and probably going to have Patricia, D.C., maybe bring in McDaniels, bring the, bring the band back together. Here's another angle, guys. Jimmy G might be your quarterback in Atlanta next year. Not surprised. That doesn't surprise me in the in the slightest. That's been that has been Bill Belichick's guy for almost a decade now. So that would definitely not surprise me since the Raiders have no room for him anymore. So. Hey, thanks a lot. Thanks, Josh. Josh. Thanks, guys. You heard me talking earlier about the great promotions and the the opportunities going on with the Goodhue Boat Company's boat club, and uh, it's around the corner, boy. And if you want to have some fun, and Cody. Uh, Gray, the general manager of Goodhue Boat Company, joining us for a few minutes to tell us locations and the great opportunity to join the boat club. I think you still have some uh, membership room available. I'm not sure, but it's a wonderful opportunity to enjoy boating in a lot of different places with a lot less cost, and you don't have to own the boat. Cody, take it away. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Jack. No, I mean, you stole my thunder. Those are the uh, those are the benefits. I think, you know, folks that understand uh, you know, that have owned a boat, you, you own a boat and, and you see those invoices come in in the, you know, especially in the spring and fall and then, uh, you know, monthly payments, you know, with the bank, uh, insurance payments and, uh, all of that stuff is, uh, you know, can take some of the fun out of boating. Um, and, you know, and the costs have gone up. I, I don't think that, uh, boating is unique in the sense that we've seen, uh, you know, this inflation impact all of these industries and, and boating hasn't been insulated from that. So with the cost going up, I, I think that that's encouraged people to look uh, at other options to get out on the water and boat clubs are, uh, you know, are a great way to do it. Yeah. And I think it's uh, I think the it's easier to do. And the cost benefit analysis is just crazy in a good way, because, you know, if you're going to use it just, a you know, X number of times, your choices of where you can use this pretty much stretch from our waterways here uh, up into Maine and down south. Yeah, totally. Um, that's one of the great things. We've partnered with Carefree Boat Clubs, and so members of our club get that reciprocal access to boats all around the world and 12 months out of the year. So uh, that's, a, you know, that's a huge benefit is to be able to, uh, without having to trailer a boat and, and deal with that kind of hassle, you can boat on uh, you know, Sebago Lake one day or Sunapee or Winnipesaukee, uh, Ossipee Lake or down in Virginia or, uh, you know, San Diego or, uh, you know, or Miami. So um, it's a it's a pretty cool uh, opportunity for folks and drive different boats. Uh, you know, we have members that might go out, you know, with some friends to, you know, to picnic or have lunch and they'll take a pontoon boat, right? The, the living room of the lake. And, uh, and then uh, maybe the next evening they'll want to go, you know, for a dinner, um, you know, with, uh, with just a spouse. Um, and they'll take, uh, you know, a runabout boat that can cruise across the water quickly and be a little bit more sporty. So um, unless you're in a position, uh, you know, to have dock space and ownership of multiple different boats, this is really 
um, a great way to kind of experience um, all the different uh, benefits of the uh, of the different boats. And and one thing that I'll mention in addition to that, real quick, go ahead, is the uh, you know is the fact that during the off season, uh, you know, we've got some promotions and things going. So good stuff. Uh, you know, discounts on the initiation fee and and awesome. uh, no payments until spring. T- folks, I'm telling you, it's a great deal. Goodhueboat.com. Goodhueboat.com. Cody, make it a great weekend. Thank you, sir. Take care. 11 o'clock hour coming up. Good morning, Hampshire. The Pulse of an H.